What do you do? What do you do when somebody that you care about is making a bad decision? What do you do? What do you do when somebody that you care about is engaging in an attitude or a behavior that you know is going to hurt them? If you're a good American, do you know what you do? You keep your mouth shut to them, but you tell anybody and everybody else who will listen that your friend is about to walk off a cliff. That's what you do. Why? Because it's NYOB, none of your business. And you tell yourself, well, if I were to say something, they wouldn't listen anyway. And then you're afraid. You're afraid that if you're going to speak up, that you will ruin the relationship. If you're a Christian, this becomes a prayer request, a prayer request. So if you're a Baptist and you're in Sunday school on Sunday morning, the Sunday school leader says, are there any prayer requests? Up goes your hand. Yes, Susan, I see you have a prayer request. I need you all to pray for my little brother who is engaged. And that woman is trouble with a capital T. I know I shouldn't say this word in church on the Lord's Day, but she is a harlot. I know the kind of woman that she is. In fact, I have a friend who's working with her right now, and my brother doesn't know. I bet she's sleeping around on him right now, and he doesn't know. I need you to pray that God would smack him up the side of the head and help him to see the truth. Okay, Susan, we'll pray for your little brother. Um, if you're in small group, you know, again, are there prayer requests? Yes. Um, I need you to pray for Gary. He's, you know, Gary works with me. We work together. His wife lost her job two months ago, and he's doing stuff that violates corporate policy. Like, he's doing stuff with clients you're not supposed to do, and I'm pretty sure when they find out, they're going to fire his butt, and they can't afford for him to lose that job. They got a kid in college, right? I need you to pray. Okay, let's all pray that you know, somehow Gary gets convicted that he shouldn't be violating corporate policy. So non-Christian, if you think Christians are bad, non-Christians are no different. They are no different from Christians in this behavior. They keep their mouth shut and they tell anybody and everybody who will listen, only they insert the key phrase, the key phrase, bless their heart. Okay? And I think that's my next picture, although I can't get it to, there we go. Boom. Bless their heart. Okay? Lucy is pregnant again. Bless her heart. This is their sixth kid. She's got five kids under the age of five. She was in the hospital two months last year, and her husband had to have all of us church ladies come help her out, and here she is pregnant again. Pause. Bless her heart. And what they're saying when they say, if you're a Yankee and you're new to Kentucky, just understand that when somebody uses this word, what they're saying is, you're, you're an idiot. <laughs> okay? Um, it comes out, you know, Dave, poor Dave, bless his heart. This is his fifth job this year, and I bet he's going to do the same thing he's done with the other four. He starts, he starts showing up late because he's drinking, and he's late and late and late, and then he's a no-show, and then they fire his butt. I'd be surprised if he lasts a week in this fifth job. Bless his heart. And I bet his living girlfriend leaves him over this too. Bless his heart, okay? Here's the thing. You know what? This way of operating where we keep our mouth shut to the person that needs to hear it and we tell everybody else, isn't that stupid? Like, really? Like, we, you know, the person that needs to hear, hey, cliff ahead, danger, danger. You know, if you're in a cockpit, altitude, low terrain, pull up, pull up. You know, if you hear that, you need to take action. And yet, 
We want everybody else to know and not the person who needs to know. So here's the thing. Keeping your mouth shut but telling the world about it, that's not loving. That's not kind. Okay, so here's today's bottom line in case you miss it, right? Love people enough to tell the truth. You can speak the truth without being condemning. You can. You can do this. But love speaks up. For those of you over the age of 30, how many of you have made decisions that you now regret? <laughs> right, overwhelming majority. How many of you wish for some of those decisions that somebody had pleaded with you who loved you and said, whoa, whoa, slow down, right? If you're here today and you're 12 or 14 or 16 years old or 20 years old, I'm going to be teaching on something that's really, really hard, and that something is this. You have got to learn to confront. You have got to learn to speak up, not just for yourself, but for your friends and the people that you care about, okay? And we're going to get into this big time today. So if you brought a Bible... We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to look at just two verses there, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews is written uh, to a Jewish audience, okay? This is a group of Jewish Christians, okay? So they were believers, but they had Jewish backgrounds. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but whoever wrote it, it it's filled with imagery, and, and they're making a case throughout the whole book, and they're saying... I know how you love Moses. I know how you think Moses hung the moon. I know you revere Moses, but I'm just saying, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than Moses. His sacrifices once for all, all the stuff they did. Like, and so point after point after point after point in Hebrews, the author is trying to get you to see that Jesus is better. And it comes with a warning. And what he's saying to the readers of Hebrews is, if you're not careful followers of Jesus with Jewish backgrounds, you're going to end up just like the Jews did in the wilderness. And it started off, they didn't trust God. They doubted him. They doubted his power and goodness. Here we are in the desert. Oh, you got manna. <laughs> that uh, in, in the writer of Hebrews, the author, he calls them evil thoughts. But really, these are thoughts that don't originate from God or the idea that God's good or powerful and is going to work. So he calls them evil thoughts, and those evil thoughts spread that thinking that God's not, you can't count on God, he's out to lunch, he's not going to come, and that becomes an attitude. And in the wilderness, that attitude is characterized by the phrase grumbling, murmuring, and that murmuring takes them to a place where it changes their character, and those people never got to enter the land, the good land that God promised. So the writer makes an argument, and he says in verse 12, be careful then. Be careful. Be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. All of us have the potential to turn away from God. All of us have the potential to drift. It's in all of us. And he, he's warning us, whoa, be careful be careful. In the South, it would be all y'all. It's plural. The, ver the, okay? the word here is plural. All y'all, be careful. Be careful. And it starts with unbelief. The, the person who wrote Hebrews 
has unbelief at the root of all sin. In his mind, in the garden of evil, Adam and Eve's problem was that they didn't believe God. God, you're holding out on us. God, you told us not to eat of that tree of knowledge and good and evil, but I'm pretty sure that there's something about it that's really actually good for us. And I think you're holding out and I think you've been a little deceptive. And so I just got to know for sure that what you're saying is actually true. Oh, crap it is. <laughs> right? And so over time, that unbelief that come, becomes an attitude, it, it, it settles in and it leads and it can lead to a hardened heart. And that's what we want to avoid. This process, by the way, is common today, right? In case you think it hasn't changed in several thousand years of human history, it's the same. So the way we pastors see it play out, right? I met this girl, I met this guy, and then they start doing things sexually they know they shouldn't do, but then they're doing them. And then before too long, it's like, man, I don't like going to church anymore. Why? Because they're so judgmental there. When really, initially, it's just conviction. Man, I should probably do something. Um, and then it ends up with, well, you know, I just don't believe this stuff anymore. It's a common path. I got this opportunity, but this business opportunity requires me to lie all the time. And it's not really lying. It's just putting a spin on things. And then before too long, it's like, well, you know, those Christians, they're so judgmental. And then, you know, it's, it's a path. I just want you to see it's a path. It's a well-worn path. I don't want you to ever go down that path. I don't want to go down that path. That path is painful, okay? So... The author picks up. By the way, I did this. I, I mean, in sixth grade, I was a liar. I was a liar. In sixth grade, I was the best liar of Northside Elementary School. I would invent stories all the time. Well, my grandpa and I, we went out hunting. He didn't hunt. And there was this skunk that came up and psh, sprayed him all over, and he had to jump off the boat into the, into the pond, and, uh, and, and the, all my classmates. Man, I wish I had the kind of adventures that you had, Mark. Your life seems so amazing. Yes, it does. <sighs> I was a liar. And then, and then when I encountered Jesus the next year, like all of that lie stuff, ugh, <laughs> it became a gobbledygook mess that I had to walk through because I could either embrace the lies or embrace Jesus, but I couldn't do both, okay? So Hebrews chapter thir uh, 3, verse 13, he goes on with this argument. He says, the first warning is be careful. The second warning is you must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So how do you avoid getting a hardened heart? How do you avoid going down this path that is not a good place? You warn each other. You warn each other. This is a key thing in this verse. The Greek word is parakaleo. Um, it means, in, in some senses, to come alongside. It's, it's the word used uh, by military commanders uh, in uh, Lord of the Rings, the third film where they're on the hill and the king goes and he goes, today is a red day, a sore day, and the sun rises, and they're all like, oh, death, okay, and they charge. That word, this is the word used to describe that kind of speech, to stir a response that is a good response, and it means to appeal, to urge, to exhort, to encourage. That's what we're to do to one another, to appeal, to urge, to exhort, to encourage, we're to warn each other. 
when we're about to go down a bad road. See, loving people means loving them enough to tell them the truth, and you can speak the truth without condemnation. When you're looking at your friend's life, when you're looking at your friend's decisions, and you see it's going to go bad, you got to speak up. you got to speak up. When I graduated from seminary, I graduated at the same time as this other couple. He worked third shift. Uh, she had a day job. They just, just had their first kid, and they sat us down, invited us to their house uh, to do a sales pitch, and they were selling us phone service from their home. <laughs> this is back in the 90s when GTE and things like that still existed, okay? And we knew in that moment, I was like, oh, pyramid marketing thing, got it. And on the drive home, Jenny said to me, you know this isn't going to work. Now, she said it in a better voice than that, but right, like, you know, okay? And we're driving home and we're having... I, I did not speak up. Six months later, six months later, they moved to Ohio into her parents' basement with their tail between their legs because they had failed to pay rent two months in a row and they had burned through all their money because he quit his job, she quit her job. We're gonna, this is gonna be our future, it's gonna be great. And I saw the handwriting on the wall and I was like, mm, right? Okay, so you gotta speak up. Okay, Ephesians 4.15, this is a verse that's really popular among certain Christian groups, and usually it's popular among the groups that just that have the thing of, I'm just saying, right, okay, so instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the truth, uh, uh, the church, so speaking the truth in love. Here's what I want you to do in terms of self-evaluation of yourself. And, and if you're married, you're going to think of your spouse, okay? You're going to have a tendency toward the love or grace part, or you're going to have a tendency toward the truth part. The truth tendency people are the people who are like, never seem to have a problem with, I'm just saying, I just, am, I'm putting it out there, Okay? just needs to be put out there. It's the truth. Boom. Truth bomb. There you go. Look, truth. Hey, don't blame the messenger. It's still true. On the other hand, there's the love grace people, and they're like, oh, gosh, I couldn't have the relational anxiety. You know, oh, they're going to fall off a cliff. Don't, don't say anything. Don't say, you know, so there's the love. I'm more on the love mercy side. So all through these years as a pastor, I've had to learn and work really hard to be truthful because my natural comfort zone is there, but you're going to have a tendency, you're going to have a natural tendency toward one end or the other, and you got to figure that out. And if, if uh, the rules of engagement apply to you to, and you're married, you probably married your opposite, <laughs> okay? So you're, you know, that's how that works out, okay? So here's the thing. In this book of Hebrews, uh, the guy who writes this letter, uh, in another part of the book, he says, do not forsake together the gathering together of one another, okay? Basically, he says, don't forsake worshiping together. And then he tells us, warn each other. So worship and fellowship in his mind are critical to walking out the Christian faith. So if your version of Christianity is something where you're saying, well, I don't need people. I can do this with just Jesus in me. 
do me a favor and do the Thomas Jefferson thing and just take this whole book and literally just rip it out of your Bible. You can burn it in the fireplace. You can do whatever. I'm, no, don't do that. But like, <laughs> I'm just saying like, it's, the Bible's not going to help you if that's how you want to roll, okay? So it's critically, critically important. If you want to honor Jesus and love people, you're going to have to learn to appeal, to urge, to exhort, to encourage. So let me ask a question. The first question relates to people having the ability to do that to you. Do you have, who in your circles has edit ability privileges with you? In other words, is there anyone in your life who has the right to appeal, urge, exhort, and warn you? Are there people that you will listen to that come to you and say, hey, I've noticed that. Hey, I just want to, who, who has that ability? Um, and in the olden days, in Christianity world in America, we would talk about accountability, and accountability groups were big. I, I never really, that never really worked for me because the way the accountability stuff tended to work, it was very, very uh, static. It was very rule-driven. So I had a, an accountability group once where they would come in, and how many times did you have your devotional this week? Five. Oh, so you missed two days. Um, how many times did you pray? Did you pray for the people on your prayer list? I did three days. Oh, so you missed four. And so, you know, the accountability part, it was always like I never wanted to go. I was like, yeah, I really do suck. I, I need a savior so bad. <laughs> and so that's, edit ability is a little different. Edit ability is dynamic. Uh, it's relational oriented, not rule oriented. An editor works with an author to preserve the author's voice so that the author can speak with clarity and without encumbrance. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you and me, to reflect Jesus with clarity and without encumbrance, the way we cast off sin and, and bad habits, okay? So who in your circle has that editability privilege with you? Do you have anybody? And I want to suggest to you that if you don't have that small groups are a great place where that can happen. Doesn't always happen, but it can happen. This last week in the small group that I'm a part of, at Generations, I don't lead a group, but I'm in a group. And the group that I was in, somebody made the comment, I want to get this right, Max, you need, to, you need that off your shoulders. Bam, truth statement right there. <laughs> this same group uh, in November, uh, I had... I had talked to Ellie Grimes on the phone, and she told me, you need to go see the doctor. You have pneumonia. I didn't listen to Ellie, but when my small group said, you need to go to the doctor. You have pneumonia. I went to the doctor, and you know what? I had pneumonia. <laughs> Here's the thing. The people in my group can say that, these things to me, and I don't walk away with the L on my forehead and my, you know, like, I actually, it's love. And so that's, that's one way that the speaking the truth and love encourage one another thing can happen in, in these smaller contexts where if you got real community, man, you have editability privileges with each other. They have the freedom to call me out, and yet I don't feel judged, I feel loved, right? So by the way, if you do church and you don't have this, this cluster of community, it's like going to Starbucks, getting a pumpkin spice latte and having them put skim milk in it instead of cream. You're going to go, ah, yeah, you're getting ripped off, okay? <laughs> you're getting ripped off. I'm just telling you if you don't, right, okay. So second question, 
Is there anyone in your circles, do you have someone in your circles, not in your nuclear family, who is going down a bad path? I put that qualifier in parentheses there for a reason. Brother, sister, father, husband, wife, son, daughter, like that dynamic is really, really hard to get right when it comes to speaking the truth in love. Most of the time, if it's an immediate family member and you're saying, hey, bad decision, bad relationship, I'm worried about you, all they hear is, I stink, you hate me, I'm a loser, right? Because it gets lost in translation because of the family dynamic. But outside of that, do you have someone who's going down a bad path? Do you know somebody who's making decisions that you're like, that is not good? Speak up, speak up. I know, this will be great. Maybe six of you will sit me down to coffee this week. Max, you need to know that, <laughs> okay? This will be awesome. <laughs> but go for it, go for it. Here's how, here's some, you want some practical advice how to do this? One, expect it to be awkward. It's gonna be awkward. You're gonna have a nervous stomach. Your palms are gonna be sweating. You're gonna fumble over words. Just expect it to be awkward because you don't do this enough and you, you know, okay? So it's gonna have an awkward component to it. Secondly, check your motives. Why are you confronting them? Is it out of a love and concern for them and their best interest? Or is this to make you feel better, right? If it's all about you and you feeling better, okay, think that and pray that through a little more. Um, and why you? Would someone else be better positioned to say what needs to be said? Will what you say help them or crush them? The words and content can be tough, but you can't be threatening, you can't be name-calling, all right? So check your motives. Uh, last, uh, number three, plan it out. And here's, here's what I do when I have to confront somebody. I, I have like a three-step thing. I'm, I start off with telling them why I like them, why I admire them, things about them that are just awesome. And then I get to the right to the point. So I notice that. I see that. It seems like you're going down this road. It seems like the road is going to end here. Are you sure that's where you want to go? Because you say you want to go here, but this is taking you there. And you, you see how this plays out? Here's what I've learned in 20 years of trying to do this well and not. There may be a dynamic that is a, a woman needs to confront a woman and a man needs to confront a man. I, I know that may sound sexist, but I can just tell you my own track record of all the times I've tried to confront a woman in leadership where we, there's been an issue or something, it's always ended badly, 10 times out of 10. But with the guys, when I've confronted a guy, I would say seven or eight out of 10 guys will be like, oh, thank you, and boom, they, they change their direction, they, they make a change, okay? So there may be something to that. All I know is that the Bible tells us we're to warn one another. We're to warn one another, all right? So expect it to be awkward, check your motives, plan it out, and risk it, risk it. But don't do this. Thou shalt not triangulate. If you need to confront Gary, don't tell Dave everything there is. To, well, Dave, let me tell you what Gary needs to do. Gary is going to get his butt fired. And da, 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 da. Like, that's triangulation. No, 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 no. Thou shalt not triangulate. Okay? So go direct. Deal direct. Um, if you're needing to talk to Dave about Gary and you're passionately talking about how 
Gary's messing up his life. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, you're passionate enough that you should just talk to Gary. If you, you know, and you're animated and, and the passion's there and everything else, and you clearly care. <laughs> so skip, skip Dave, go straight to Gary. That's what I'm saying. Thou shalt not triangulate. Here's the thing. We need each other. We need each other. We do. All of us. We need each other. And we need each other to speak the truth. If Stephen Colbert were to come up with a phrase for this Bible passage, he would probably call it lovely truthiness. <laughs> lovely truthiness. But in this case, it's actually something that's worth, worth speaking, worth saying. I know this is true because I've been on the receiving end of people warning me. When I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I was uh, an executive pastor, and our church had grown from 200 to 400 in about a year and a half time. And we didn't have the structures to really handle that kind of growth. We really needed to hire a third full-time pastor, and we weren't doing that. And so every week, I was, <laughs> I felt like I was running a marathon. <laughs> I was just out of breath, out of steam. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was in a, I was in an edit ability group with four other pastors. Uh, of the five of us, two of us started churches. One of us ended up heading an international missions organization. Another is serving as a missionary in a Muslim country. And the fourth has started recovery groups everywhere, or the fifth, okay? So in this pastor's editability group, one, one of the fellows, one of the pastors, his name is Stuart. Stuart would say to me, Max, you need time in your week to just be and not do. When, are you, when is that happening? Well, Stuart, I can't. I got to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And this is what my schedule is. And if I drop this ball, then people are going to be upset. And da, da, da. Max, you are on a road that's going to lead to burnout. And I'm afraid that you will burn out and leave the ministry if you don't change something. So this went on week after week. And I started thinking to myself, I just need to quit this stupid pastor's group. You know, this is a pain in the butt. I'm having to go here, and then he's telling me what I need to do, and he doesn't understand my life and how hard it is, and he's not cutting me any slack or being showing me any grace. And finally, I was like, fine. One Friday, I decided, you know what? I'm just going to do it. For three hours, I'm just going to go out there, and I decided to go for a hike. And I was like, it's like that scene from Snow White with the animals and the creatures and the sunlight and Bambi and everything else, right? Thumper. And I, I came back and I was like, I felt restored and I felt more alive. I discovered I loved the outdoors late in life. Stuart's confrontation to me helped me discover I'm a kayaker and an avid outdoorsman now. Today, during the warmer months, I'll take an entire day out of the week to get away and be outside with God and, and restore and connect and think. And, but if he hadn't been tenacious enough to speak the truth in a loving way, I'm not sure I would have made it to generations, okay? We need each other. We need each other to do this for one another. So don't shrink away. Again, if I can get my bottom line, right? Love people enough to tell the truth. We can speak the truth without condemnation. We can.